How many of you know what a pillar is? Not a pillow, a pillar. That's a good picture of pillars, isn't it? Uh, the Parthenon, that's pretty good pictures. Pillars uh, in a lot of structures, certainly in that, they provide the foundation, don't they? They provide the support to keep a structure uh, upright. And if you're underneath that roof, they provide safety for you to continue to live, correct? Pillars are important. You know what a spotlight is? Something rednecks use to hunt illegally? Yes, you know what a spotlight is. With spotlight, obviously we have a spotlight up there. Ethan is on that now. Look, you hit me, Ethan. Uh, so you see that? You can cut it right now. We'll go back to it later. Thank you. Uh, you know what a spotlight is? It's something that... that highlights or brings emphasis to someone or to something. And Galatians chapter 1 this evening, we're going to look at two pillars and a spotlight. Galatians 1, uh, 11 through 24 is going to be our primary text. Remember, if you were here last night, Galatians is a very interesting dynamic book. Uh, God wrote this book through Paul, and I always like to word it that way because the Bible's the word of God that was written through men. Paul didn't write it. God wrote it through Paul. That's a very important little tidbit to to put to it. it. It was possibly written as early as about A.D. 48 or 49. Some scholars say it was the very first New Testament book ever written. Now, we don't know that for sure, but it was an early book. And it was written probably to the Roman province of Galatia, which would have been a big area. It was a circular letter. So, in other words, if First Baptist got it, then we would give it to to Temple, and they would give it to Calvary, and they would give it to Emmanuel, and they'd give it to the bridge. And it was passed around from church to church. And and so uh, it it was a a letter where Paul expresses great doctrinal truths. I mean, it's sound biblical principles, but it's also a book of great practical application. And so let's look tonight at these two pillars in a spotlight. Here's the first pillar. And boy, this is a a, a very, very important one. You and I need an ever-deepening private relationship with God. A lot of wording in that, but every word in that's important. We need not to be a good thing. We need an ever-ongoing, deepening, private relationship with God. Verse 11 and 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something man made up. Look, now, what, what is he saying? They're just told there on 12. That'd be good, Brian. You, uh, Paul, Paul was being accused of uh, making up the gospel. Of the, He was just creating his own theology as he went along. And he said, no, 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 that's not the case at all. In verse 12, I didn't receive it from any other man. He was accused kind of of being a flunky. Nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it from a revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, Paul got a special revelation that you and I aren't going to ever get. He was given revelation to, help, to, to write 13 books of the New Testament from God. But, but part of that revelation you and I can get that God was revealed himself to Paul. Paul said, listen to these, these Jewish antagonizers. He said, I didn't make up the gospel. I, I didn't make up my theology. I, I'm not somebody's flunky or boy. I didn't just get it from somebody else. Uh, I got it from God. Now, he's going to have influence from others, but that's where he's coming from to begin. In verse 13 and 14, for if you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God, and I tried to destroy it. But Paul hated Christianity. He hated churches. He was on a mission to destroy you and me and everything we believed in. In verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond 
many, many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions. Did you get that? Not for the word of God, but for the traditions of my father. Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was the green beret of Judaism. I mean, he, he was the, the uptight of uptights. And he said, you know what? I was on a pathway to advance and just to be one of the greatest Jews that, that there was ever going to be. But something happened, verse 15 and 16. But when God, who set me apart from birth, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. Now, this is a powerful verse. Paul says, I was set apart from birth. What does that mean? That may sound pretty predestination or some kind of strange, ooey thing. It means that, that, that the boundaries or the definition of Paul's life was set out beforehand. Now, it's interesting, Jeremiah the prophet talks about that before he was born, God had a plan for his life and a direction for his life. And I think this is, this is very interesting to know. God's got a plan for your life. We love Psalms uh, 139 where it talks about we were fearfully and wonderfully made. We are a special creation of God. I want to tell you, before you were born, God had a plan for your life. You know, it's interesting. Paul was a Pharisee. A Pharisee literally means a separatist. They were separated from people. Listen, a, a Pharisee would never have spoken to you and me. I don't think any of you in here are Jewish. And, and, a, and a Gentile, they would have never spoken to. If you were a Jewish woman, they would have never spoken to you. They were separate, man. They were separated. And, and he gets saved, and all of a sudden he says, Now God has separated me. Get the paradox here. God has separated me to be a missionary to the very people I wouldn't have looked at earlier, the Gentiles. Isn't that funny? Doesn't God have a good sense of humor? Just when you think God's, you got God figured out. Paul said, I want to be the greatest Pharisee, the green beret of Judaism that there can be. I won't look at someone, talk to someone who is not a Jew. And then all of a sudden he gets saved. And all of a sudden God says, guess what, Paul? I've separated you in another way. You're going to be a missionary, an evangelist to the Gentiles. Only God can pull that stuff off. Isn't that great? And again, I want to go back before you were born. God had a plan for your life. I believe with all my heart, part of that plan was for you to be saved. And after you to be saved, God had a mission and a purpose for you. Here's the, ser- the very sad thing. So many of us never realize that. So many of us never find that. One scholar I was reading this week said all of us, like Paul, got, a, got an invitation from God that was written up before we were ever born. But you got to RSVP. you got to respond to it. Paul responded to it. You know, one of the neat things about Paul... Paul got saved and became a preacher on the same day. That rarely ever happens. I became a Christian. It was three years later before I felt like this is what God wanted me to do. Paige Patterson, who is the president of Southwestern Seminary, is a, a, a unique individual in many ways, but he, uh, he talks about the day he was saved was the day he felt God called him to preach. I wasn't that discerning. I didn't have that, that insight into my life and to the call of God, but Paul and Paige Patterson did. But, folks, God's got a call on your life, too. Now, here's an interesting thing, though, a very, very interesting thing, what Paul did after he was saved. A very interesting thing about what Paul did after he received the call from God, that he said, this was my destiny from birth. What did he do? In verse 17 and 18, it says, Nor did I go to Jerusalem 
I didn't consult any man. I didn't go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and the other apostles. I want to show you a little map of this area. Uh, if you see there's Jerusalem and Damascus, that, that's, a good, that, that's a pretty good distance there, certainly. That's where Paul was going from there to there when God struck him and hit him, okay? That's where Paul was from, Tarsus there. Over here is Arabia, uh, southeast uh, in south and southeast of, of Damascus. And Paul, this is a, a lot, of course, there's Ephesus, Colossus. You see Thessaloniki, which is... Philippi, a lot of Corinth, a lot of these places that Paul was going to minister. But after Paul was saved, Paul spent a lot of time in these areas and then even out here in the desert. What in the world was Paul doing in the desert after he was saved? And he says it was three years before I really I went to Jerusalem and, and really kind of got my, my, my bearings to get going on my missionary journeys. Folks, you know what Paul did? Man, Paul got along with God. Paul went to his own personal seminary for three years. And certainly he was witnessing, he was preaching, but that was, that was the secondary thing to him. You, you think about this. Paul's whole world had been turned upside down. He had been anti-Christ. He was anti-church. He was anti-Jesus and anything to do with that. Then all of a sudden, in a split moment, his heart and his life has changed. And he realizes everything he'd been holding on to was upside down and wrong. That'd kind of shake you up, wouldn't it? But I think what's so great... It's what Paul must have done is Paul got alone. When it says when Paul went to Arabia, a lot of that's desert and rough area. Now, there may have been villages and places, obviously, where he could have stayed. But I want to tell you what Paul was doing. Paul was studying his Old Testament. Paul was talking to some of the, the other converts. And Paul was growing deep in his personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And before he ever started becoming the great apostle Paul with the great missionary travels, he spent an extended time alone with the Father. I want to ask you this evening, how much time are you spending with the Father? Now, yeah, a season, getting away for six months or a year, is not very possible for most of us. How are you doing daily? How do you prioritize every day getting alone, reading your Bible, and praying? Folks, I want to tell you, five minutes a day is not going to cut it. You're not going to know the will of God. You're not going to be able to face the people you have to face and the problems you have to face successfully. If you're dabbling in scriptures and you're throwing up wannabe prayers on your way to work, man, I want to challenge you this evening to think what Paul did. Man, when Paul got Jesus, the first thing he prioritized, and I believe he prioritized it the rest of his life, was he knew his personal relationship with Jesus need to be ever-deepening and, 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 and ever-widening. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, our Lord and Savior, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, checked Facebook, looked at the newspaper, had a cup of coffee, and then went out and started his day. No, it says he, he got up somewhere between 3 and 6 in the morning, probably around 4. He left the house. He went to a private place, 
And he prayed for several hours. And Luke 5, 16, listen to what it says. But Jesus often, that means as a pattern, withdrew to lonely places and prayed. My dad wrote something in my Bible when I became a Christian. This is worth writing in your Bible, writing somewhere. To be much for God, we must be much with God. See, here's why we don't have much power. Here's why we're not effective witnesses, why we're not effective influences. We don't have a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and you know, I wish I could tell you, if you you go tomorrow and you'll spend an hour in prayer and Bible study, that'll cover you for the week. But that's not how it works. That's like saying, I'm going to go to a buffet tomorrow and clean it up and not eat the rest of the week. You need it every day. I want to challenge you. You say, well, I don't know how to spend time alone with God. Catch me after church. We'll get you some books. We'll get you on that journey. But you and I need an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus. How many of us would be dumb enough to say, I want to look like a bodybuilder or a movie star, but I'm going to exercise five minutes a week and eat right on Saturday? That's what we want to do. You want to be who God's called you to be. You've got to prioritize your personal relationship with Christ. Here's the second thing, though, that goes with us. We need interaction and accountability with the right other people. We don't need to just be alone with God. Honestly, that can develop some weirdness if you're not careful. Do you think monasteries are healthy, emotional places? <laughs> My guess is they're not. We need interaction and accountability with the right others. Look at verse 18. After three years, did you get that? After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him for 15 days. Now, if you're taking notes, this is so cool. The word acquainted there is, is a Greek word where we get our English word history from. Paul was saying, I went to get history from Peter about Jesus Christ. It literally means to to interview someone, to visit for information, to to be knowing what they know. I went and I spent 15 days, and I bet you Peter and Paul weren't separate for 15 minutes in 15 days, just for private issues that they were together. And, And don't you know Paul would have been obnoxious how he would have kept asking you every detail of everything. Paul said, man, I've been alone with Jesus And he's been teaching me all these things. Now, Peter, I I need your affirmation. I want to confirm you. I want you to confirm me. And Peter, closest friend Jesus Christ had on this earth, James, Peter, and John, who could you have spent 15 better days with? Maybe the next person. It says in verse 19, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. Who is James? This is James Not Peter, James, and John. This was James, Jesus' half-brother. It says here. The book of James is the book he wrote. He was not a Christian until the resurrection. And then he became one of the great leaders in the early church. We believe he was the pastor at Jerusalem. Who would be one of the greatest people besides Peter you could talk to about Jesus Christ, his half-brother who grew up in his house? And, And here's what Paul says. I spent three years basically by myself getting to know Jesus deeply and intimately. And most of us won't give him ten minutes a day. 
And he said, after that, I realized this is not a solitary thing, but I went to be with James, and, and I found affirmation and confirmation from him, and I learned from him. Well, you need time alone with others. It's like you need time with God alone. You need interaction with other people like you need interaction with God. Folks, Christianity is an organized religion. You know, sometimes people freak out. I don't like organized religion. Bill O'Reilly says Christianity is not a religion. It's a philosophy. Bill O'Reilly needs to stick to news, not to Christianity. Religion's not a bad word. There are bad religions. It's not a bad word. Christianity is an organized religion. We're the body of Christ. Your body, hopefully, is organized. Amen? You may not like what it looks like, but you want it to be organized, don't you? Here's my ear. You know, you don't want that. You want everything. You want it in the right place. I love some passages in Luke 4, 16, when it says about Jesus. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath, he was tired, so he stayed in bed, watched a little ESPN, and then got up and had his own prayer time at the deer stand. Laugh with me. Come on. It says, and he went to the Sabbath, look, as what was his custom. Hebrews 10, 25 let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day, the end of times approaching is what he says there. Folks, you need church. You need Bible studies. You need prayer groups and small groups. One, if you avoid those things, you kind of become a law in a... In a a little God, small g, to yourself. You need accountability. You need people that, that are giving to you as well as you're giving to them. You, you, you need people pouring into you as you pour into them. And that's exactly what Paul did. Now, folks, this is important. You need the right people. Paul needed to love and to pray and to evangelize his old Pharisee buddies, but he didn't need to spend a lot of time with them. Uh, trying to be discipled by them. Problem with some of us, we've got religious friends that are hurting us, not helping us. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says that, that the lost people and the wild people of the world, you can't avoid them, but people who are, quote, Christians, who are stinkers, get away from them. Isn't that interesting? It's in 1 Corinthians, by the way. You need, to, you need the right people in your life. Let, let me tell you, here's... This may sound a little complicated, but this is important. Most of us, if you grew up in church or you had Christian parents, here's how Christianity kind of evolves in our lives. We hear it. We, we, get, we get our faith. We, we get teachings from our mom, our dad, our brothers and sisters, our pastors, our, our youth ministers, our ministers, our Sunday school teachers. And then hopefully we receive Christ at some point. And, but still at that point, our faith is kind of their faith. You know what I'm talking about? But at some point, the faith has to become yours. Not, you can be saved and still not really own intellectually and, and truly your beliefs. Paul was almost reversed. Paul got it alone and then he got it with other people. But what I'm saying here this evening is for you and me, 
you need a deepening personal relationship with Jesus where Christianity is not just your mom and daddy's Christianity. It's yours. It's not just your preachers or your youth ministers. It's yours. And you need that interaction with other people that helps you grow and mature. See, I think it's so neat in Paul's life. Before he hit the bricks and became the famous missionary, Paul had established a deep relationship with Christ that most people never scratch the surface on. But he always kept that accountability and that interaction with good people that helped keep him on target. Those are our two pillars. Listen, I want to tell you, If you plant your feet in those two things as a Christian, you're going to grow deep and wide. You are. And then you're going to do the third thing, and that's the spotlight tonight that we need to do, that we see in this passage. Our lives need to cause others to praise God. I I want to tell you, friend, when, when your personal relationship is deepening with Christ, when your interaction and your your, your spiritual connectedness to other people is growing, your, your life will cause people to praise God. In verse 22 through 24, Paul says, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They had only heard the report. The man who persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And this is our memory verse. See if you can say it with me. And they, because of me. Remember last week there was a misprint and says they praise God or me? That was a bad misprint. Man, this word praise is a great word. It means to glorify. Listen to what it means. It means to cause to recognize or to honor. It, It means that Paul's life caused other people to see Jesus as important. Paul's life called, caused other people not to just praise God. That can be a little subjective. It, it, it caused other people to, to prioritize and place Jesus first in their life. In other words, because of Paul's life and ministry and teaching, people were being saved. People were being Grown up in Christ, people were praising and honoring God. In the tense of the verb here, they praise God. It means they continually praise God. It wasn't a one-time thing. Paul, the change in his life, his ministry, and his teaching caused other people to stop and say, I want what he has. I want to be like he is. I want to praise his God and honor his God. Is that not awesome? Man, that's the call on your life. That's the call on our church. To be a people that cause God to be praised and prioritized and honored. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Jesus says, You are a light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Listen, God says, I want your relationship with me to be deepening. Discipline yourself to spend time daily in prayer in the Word. You be in church. You're here. I'm preaching to the choir tonight. I understand that. Be interacting with other people. Be growing in Jesus so that your life will be a light. So many Christians, we are not lights. We are negative. We, are, we repel people. 
That's not, we're supposed to be a light. We're supposed to attract. We're, we're supposed to bring warmth. We're supposed to bring love and joy and life into our world. We're supposed to have something people say, I want that. Did you get that? When people are supposed to look at us and say, I want what they have. By the way, who does the spotlight emphasize? The, the thing, it's, it's spotlighting. Spotlight me again, Ethan. Hit it. You see that? It's spotlighting me, isn't it, on the Internet? Can you see that bicep there? It, it, hopefully nobody turns around. Okay, cut, you can cut it now. Thank you, Ethan. Very good. Hopefully nobody says, Wayne, after a production, man, it's awesome spotlight. Now, we know if we have a good spotlight. We know if we have a good spotlight uh, operator, correct? But the goal is not to praise the spotlight, is it? You leave here and go, man, you know, the singing was okay, but those spotlights were just awesome. We, we failed, haven't we? Well, those actors were terrible, but man, I love those spotlights. You're a techno geek if you can walk away from something and feel that way. No, the spotlight highlights what it's spotlighting. You see, the, the glory and honor doesn't go to us. It's supposed to go to Jesus. Did you get that? The glory and honor is not supposed to go to us. It's supposed to go to Jesus. How do you make your life shine? Let me tell you something that's tough. Your life and my life doesn't shine at all on its own. Did you know that? It doesn't. Let's look at a picture of the moon. Isn't that beautiful? How many of you, most of you know, the moon has no light in and of itself. Did you know that? You look and go, man, that moon is beautiful. How how it is just so bright the moon is a dull little rock floating around up there it's important but but it doesn't have any light of itself all it does is reflects do you know that it reflects the light off the sun you see when your relationship with christ is is going deeper and stronger and purer and, and when you have an interaction with other christians that's growing and that's developing, you reflect the sun, the S-O-N, more and more and more. And that was the whole point of that passage as Paul was saying at the end. Hey, man, you need to be alone with God. You need to be connected with others. And when you are, you will reflect the glory of the sun. Okay, Christians, are you doing it? Maybe tonight, if you're a Christian, there's one or two or three things you need to do. Maybe you need to repent where you're standing or at the altar, and you need to say to God, I've been saved 30, 40, 50 years, but I ought to be in the nursery. And I want to change that. I want my walk with Christ to deepen personally and corporately. Christian, make that decision this evening. Maybe you're here tonight and you'd like to join the church. One way you can do that is just come down in a moment when we give the invitation. And certainly if you're here and you're not a Christian, man, Jesus loves you and he is the way, the truth, and the life. You come tonight and give your heart to him. Let's stand.